New York City, I think, is the capital of the world in so many ways. But I said to myself, why isn't there more young, aggressive, vivacious capital here that has world-beating attitudes, that wants to go focus on the next generation of amazing founders and help them go and bend space and time and create really special companies right here? You are listening to The Sure Shot Entrepreneur, a podcast for founders with ambitious ideas, venture capital investors, and other early believers tell you relatable, insightful, and authentic stories to help you realize your vision. Welcome to The Sure Shot Entrepreneur. In this episode, my guest is Alexa von Tobel. She is the founder and managing partner at Inspired Capital. Inspired Capital is a New York City-based venture capital firm. Prior to starting Inspired Capital, she was the chair of Northwestern Mutual's venture capital division. And she was also a successful entrepreneur. Let's talk to Alexa to find out how she makes investments, what she looks for in entrepreneurs. Alexa, welcome to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation, but let's start with you. Tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Sure. So I actually came from a family that has two very interesting and different roots. My dad's side of the family is from Europe. My dad was born in Belgium. And then my mom's side of the family is from South Bend, Indiana, and just very different backgrounds and worldviews. But my parents had a very similar vision for the future. My brother was born in Germany. My other brother and I were actually born in Kentucky. And then my parents moved to Jacksonville, Florida when I was eight months old. So as far as I know, I, I really born and raised essentially in Florida. I grew up with two older brothers. And that is an important thing to say out loud because they, in so many ways, shaped my worldview. I have one brother who's almost eight years older than me and another brother who's about four years older than me. I always had two fast-moving older brothers that if I ever wanted to have anybody to play with, I had to basically essentially keep up in so many ways that set the pace of, of how I thought about life, which was I had to be tough. I had to keep up. I had to be able to run fast. And I, I will always be grateful to both of them for that. In middle school, I was a gymnast to the degree where I didn't go to school full-time and actually trained most weeks, six days a week for four to five hours a day. I'll always credit gymnastics to being where I really learned exceptional discipline around hard work and time management skills, because when you have no time, you have to manage your time wisely. I used to go to school in the morning and then go to gymnastics from three till eight. It took about 35, 40 minutes to get home. I wouldn't walk in the door when I was in middle school until nine o'clock. Then I had to finish all of my homework. And if I wanted to even have the chance to call a friend, I had to be done quickly. So much of efficiency, time management, rigor around being organized came probably from my DNA, but my parents were quite organized. But then also from the fact that necessity is the mother of invention and skills. When I analyze my own life, I really look back to work ethic from being great at sport as I transitioned to high school, I quit gymnastics. I played many other sports and then I got into Harvard and actually I was a diver at Harvard also. I dove platform and, and springboard and I really only started diving my senior year, but my gymnastics translated pretty fantastically into being able to be pretty darn good at diving without much training. Anyways, I went to Harvard undergrad uh, and when I got there, I just like my whole family, they're all in medicine. I assumed I would do that. 
the best way I can describe it is I had an awakening by the time I got to Harvard because I've always been an entrepreneur. I was always cooking up businesses. I was always, instead of having a lemonade stand, I was selling stuff at my lemonade stand that I'd collected around my house, which my mom obviously did not love. I had together <laughs> a little tutoring business when I was in high school. I was always up to something. By the time I got to college, I realized, wow, not only is it obvious that I really love business, but like I'm very entrepreneurial. And I finally had the words to describe it. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. That's what this restless energy really is. That gives you a sense of my childhood. I had a pretty normal childhood, grew up in a family. Um, my dad was a doctor. My mom is still a pediatric nurse practitioner. I, both my brothers are doctors and entrepreneurial themselves. I was a black sheep. Everybody else had multiple degrees and I was the one who went really directly into business. Wow. Training as an athlete that certainly gives you the discipline to manage time, manage your resources and aim really, really high. And I see that you have that attitude built in from your early childhood. You also overdosed on Harvard. You went there twice. You went there for undergrad and you went back for your MBA. I'm curious to understand how that education prepared you and also your early career in banking. How did that prepare you for starting a venture capital firm? Well, I was so grateful. I got into Harvard Business School when I was a senior in college. I was kind of pre two plus two. So they made it easy for people to defer, come later. It felt somewhat flexible. And I went for one semester in the fall of 2008. At that point, I'd already started LearnVest and I felt to myself that I really wanted to go. And it was so clear to me that the business idea for LearnVest, which is how do you help America with their wallet in a way that's forward thinking and, and, and really trustworthy. And then I went to HBS because I had to, I couldn't defer any longer. And when I showed up, it was so clear to me that Lehman Brothers was going under and this business idea that I'd worked on for a while, it was, it was so obvious to me that it was time to launch it. Meanwhile, there I am sitting at HBS and I had a few classes there. One of them called leadership. It was so simple. It's leadership. It's about how to be a good leader. It was basic life skills that I was really grateful to have about how to examine situations from you know every stakeholder's point of view. In some ways, pretty obvious stuff, but I actually felt like that was really wonderful. And the biggest thing I really got out of HBS was I'm so fortunate. I was only there 91 days, but I joke that I made 91 years of friends because <laughs> I really left with some incredible lifelong friends of people that my husband and I together really love. So then I dropped out fall of 2008. It was December 18th. I walked into the admissions office and said, I got to go build this business. And I will tell you, Gopi, at the time, it sounds in the rearview mirror like, oh, that's great. You dropped out. Cool. It all worked out. People that I was nuts, including some of my own best friends who said, what are you doing? The world is in full global collapse and you're going to go and take this amazing safety net that you have of business school and you're going to throw it away. And it was one of those moments where I really learned that I am not only comfortable, I thrive at swimming against the grain. And what I mean by that is I do have this deep self-awareness that says life is really short. You only get to live once. You can't live for other people's worlds and you can't live for other people's expectations. You got to really live for your own. And we all have inner voices that tell us things that we should do. And it became very clear to me that I would regret it forever. And so I had to go do it. But anyways, I moved to New York and then I was standing up LearnVest, which was its own chapter of my life. It's one thing to drop out and start a company, but it's a whole other thing to have the bravado to do it in the middle of a global crisis. Around the same time, I graduated from business school and I tried to start a company, didn't go anywhere. 
partly because of the global crisis and not many people were eager to invest in a small startup. Kudos to you for taking that brave step. Would you recommend that to entrepreneurs? Like be that brave, drop out of school, don't worry about macroeconomic conditions and go start your company? So I would recommend to people that starting a company for the sake of being a CEO and making money is the wrong reason to start a company. The right reason to start a company is that you are so committed to a problem that you want to solve. You have your own opinion of why there is a better solution out there. And you truly believe that you're the best person possible to go build it. That's a much better reason and probably hopefully a more successful path to building a company than to simply say, oh gosh, it sounds really fun to go be a CEO. I'd like to go be a CEO. For me at that point in time, I had done the work. I'd written a 75-page business plan. I had a pretty darn clear path about what I wanted to build. So I actually started Learn Best May of 2007. My husband is absolutely adorable and he's got an alert on his calendar that reminds us every year when I actually started it. At the time, I was 23. And by the time I went to business school, I was 24. And by the time I dropped out, I just turned 25. But I really started the company at 23. So I'd been working on it really for a year and almost a half by the time I dropped out. So if you think about it, I was pretty obsessed for a year and a half. And it, it finally became clear that there was the really unique moment in time where going to build it was the right time. Sometimes people make it sound like, oh, I stumbled into building this. I'd become pretty obsessed with the problem. And then I felt like I was equipped to help be part of the solution. Then I felt like it would be wrong for me not to go be part of the solution based on all of the work that I had done and how passionate I was. In some ways, that's a better orientation to starting a company and go be all end on why. Uh, building a company is the least glamorous thing on the planet. The world and society and, and press glamorize it all now. Founders on the covers of magazines. It feels very, very exciting and sexy to go be a founder. But I, I will tell you the actual job is the least glamorous thing. You're constantly solving hard problems. It's a pretty thankless job on a lot of occasions. You're making really brutal decisions. Most days are harder than great. And there's many days you come home deeply demoralized and wondering whether or not the company will even exist. If you don't love and are obsessed with solving the problem and you start a company in a category you're not that passionate about, on those days, you're going to want to quit. And one thing my husband and I were talking about it the other day, in eight years when I was building and running LearnBest, I didn't have one day I wanted to quit. Not one. I had days where I wanted to go home early because I was pretty miserable but I never had a minute where I wanted to quit. And I do think if you build it for the wrong reasons, it's going to be really hard for you not to quit. What an amazing story. The grit and the determination you had, the conviction you had in your business and writing a 75-page business plan and having all the details sketched out in your mind is a great way to form that conviction. The thing you talk about as a mission in your company is that relentless determination. You had that in the beginning. And you did it again in 2019. You teamed up with Penny, Mark, and Lucy to start Inspired. It's so funny. About a decade prior, when I was building my own company, I remember having a really earnest and honest moment where I said to myself, I can't believe I'm sitting here in the core of New York City building a fintech company, and I have to fly to the West Coast to go raise my capital. And California, Palo Alto, San Francisco, Silicon Valley is like the, the tech capital of, of the country. But New York City is the capital of the world in so many ways. I said to myself, why isn't there more young, aggressive, vivacious capital here that 
has world beating attitudes that wants to go focus on the next generation of amazing founders and help them go and bend space and time and create really special companies right here. Gopi, it was a really simple moment where I had a really clear idea. And I said to myself, that would really make my life better if that capital were here and if it had open arms for me. And many years later, the idea stuck in the back of my head. And one day I literally said the words, it's inspired capital. It knows how to build businesses. It welcomes founders for their toughest moments. It really understands the love of the game and it can help founders execute better, faster, et cetera. And literally inspired was born and our founding team pretty special, has literally built and scaled 10 businesses amongst us. One of my business partners is former U.S. Secretary of Commerce, Penny Pritzker of many businesses. She's on the board of Microsoft and Harvard, and she's been the chairman of TransUnion. She's been part of more businesses and more complex decisions around business as former U.S. Secretary of Commerce. And she is wired in the same way I am, which is she really loves to build businesses. My other two business partners, Mark and Lucy. Um, Lucy, I've known for 20 years. Uh, She was a co-founder of Paperless Post. We both started on the venture investing side at Insight Venture Partners. And Paperless Post now has literally 100 million plus users around the globe. On the flip side, Mark Batsian had been with me for 12 years. We were the deal team selling LearnVest. And then we ran Northwestern Mutual's venture fund together. And it has been such a phenomenal collaboration. The last thing I'll say is people are everything and people that know one another work well together. I think that really differentiates most organizations is the people. And I'm really, really proud of who our team is and particularly how close knit we all are. You have assembled a great team indeed. How is Inspired Capital different from other VC firms? Why do entrepreneurs choose to work with you? Well, I always say you should really talk to our founders. We have a lot to prove over the next decade and beyond that. And our founders speak to the benefit of us probably the best, which is we are there to work hard. We pick up every phone call. We work seven days a week. When it comes down to the craftsmanship of early stage building of businesses, that really is what we are excellent at on many fronts from strategic planning, what I call how to play chess and how do you think your business in chapters and think about how do you make each chapter smarter than the next, all the way down to collecting the best talent as quickly as you can. Ourselves, we built and scaled 1,500 employees in New York City alone, all the way down to things like How do you think about the most strategic decisions, the most strategic business partnerships? Who are those? How do you sequence them? How do you set them up? And then finally, honing your narrative, honing your brand, honing who you are, honing how you talk to your customers and how you talk to the business world, which is also the future fundraising world. Those are all categories that we love. And then finally, I'll just say it doesn't hurt that our co-founder and business partner was former U.S. Secretary of Commerce and knows most business people in the country personally very well. We are very helpful at getting to whoever our founders need to help them do whatever they need to make their business better. That's a powerful network indeed. Do you prefer to invest in uh, New York City-based startups? Do you invest uh, in other locations as well? What do you look for in entrepreneurs? We are fully agnostic. So we're fully topic agnostic. So we're a generalist fund. We invest around the country and even outside of the country. We are seed and series A. And if you asked us what we look for, there's a few key attributes to an inspired company. First, we look for really special founders, and that's obvious, and everybody does that. But having been founders before, the way that we think about our founders is we really look at their mental fitness. We look at the why. We look at 
under all of the faux veneer of building a business, what's really driving you and, and really like to understand our founders in that regard. On the business model side, we like to think about businesses that as they get bigger, they get better. So that means really unique, unfair advantages, data mode, something on the competitive side that helps the business scale more quickly. That may be a first mover advantage. That may be a data moat. That may be a data plus business model moat. So we really like to think about how is this business, as it gets bigger, get better? We like capital efficient businesses. Not every one of our investments has been super capital efficient, but most have. And the reason we like that is capital efficient businesses can go quite far without having to raise boatloads of capital. And it, again, it's not to say all of our businesses haven't raised lots of capital, but in general, we like capital efficient businesses. And then finally, we either like to go after really big market opportunities or what we'll call fully new categories where you're building something with true white space. So I'll give an example of that. An NFT type category or Web3 category is a lot of white space, whereas some of our businesses have just gone after money movement, which is a TAM of trillions of dollars. So even if you capture 1% of that, that's pretty powerful. Finally, two categories that we have deep expertise in fintech and fintech adjacent and crypto in that entire universe we spent our life's work, me particularly 15 plus years of published New York Times bestselling books. And I'm personally so passionate to a point where I, I do it for free. I love it so much. Other categories are digital health. Um, we had spent a long time in my prior life thinking about the future of digital health and then COVID happened. And so not only do we have a lot of experience, but then digital health and fintech are actually emerging as in some cases even blended units. That's another example of a place that we like. But we've done everything from a housing company called Hobby in Latin America, which is doing exceptionally well, to self-driving lawnmowers here in the United States, which is leveraging AI to think about full automation around per acre per mow software on a lawnmower to really interesting infrastructure plays. And we're having a time of our life. I see you have a wide variety of topics you are interested in, and I can see the passion with which you like to learn. And that childhood athlete type of attitude still is there that kind of pushes you to keep trying new things. I'm curious to understand what happens in the first one or two meetings. What questions do you ask entrepreneurs? Can you give an example of a couple of startups where you met them? What inspired you to say, I really want to invest in this company? Yeah, great question. I really like to ask the founder, there's a thesis or a hypothesis that's in their head that they see a decade out that whether they articulate it or not, they believe is true and they are running towards it. I'll go back to my learn best days. I believed it was truly wild that financial planning was a luxury product. And I felt like it was almost a civil right for everybody to have access to, we get access to basic healthcare. Why can't we get access to basic financial planning? And I believed that over time, advice should be something that is affordable for all. That was my core thesis, that it was that critical to the well-being of the country and that it needed to exist and that hidden fees and all the other dynamics that existed, that the internet was going to make those opaque and that as a result, there was going to be an interesting play that happened. So I like to ask founders, what was the core theme, the thesis that you see in your head is obvious that maybe not everybody sees that you are building your business to? And I'll give you an analogy, Gobi. I learned this from somebody else and I absolutely love it. You're looking for a great surfer on a good surfboard, that's the company, on a tsunami. So you're looking for a good <laughs> enough surfer on a good enough surfboard, but riding a tsunami. So I asked them, what's their tsunami? What's that wave that they're running after? 
So that's one. And then the second thing I like to ask them, if you strip away everything and you're sitting with your best friend, whoever you confide in the most in the world, and you describe to them what you want to accomplish and why, what is it? I'll articulate it with inspired. I want to build one of the best funds in the world here in New York City, period. And I want it to last 40 years. I want to pass it down to this younger team that we're building. And I want it to be a firm that your best founders in the country literally think of as a first stop. How do I build that? It's going to be a really long effort. I do believe a Sequoia of the East Coast should exist and I want to go build it. That's a crazy thing to say, but that's the level of quality that we want to bring. We have to earn it and it's going to be really hard to build. I ask founders the same, what do you want to accomplish? It really shows their commitment levels, how they view it, how they talk about it. I really like to get a sense of what's in their head. I've always believed that when investors like you show up with a long-term vision, it shows the commitment to the founder that they're not in it to just get something out in the next two, three years and flip the company. You demonstrate yourself that you're committed for the long term and you're on a mission. And the conversation will clearly show that, yeah, that's the kind of investor I want to work with. And the founders will see that this investor will make a difference in the long term. That's right. You said, well, I'm committed to do this for decades. I'm not going to make a short-sighted decision where a company's not doing well and we're going to upset them. Does that make sense? It's not the right way to build our vision. Getting a real sense of what's driving somebody and what they want to accomplish also really does help show somebody your cards of, of what's really driving you. And I think the world needs an East Coast marquee VC firm. The attempt has been made a few times Media was a very popular industry in you know, 10, 15 years ago coming out of New York, maybe some financial services. But I think what you're building is a generalist VC firm, which can cater to any kind of entrepreneur, depending on any trend, any kind of tsunami that the market throws at you, you'd be able to take advantage of those waves. We meet a lot of entrepreneurs. We meet hundreds of entrepreneurs in a year. Not all of them are great pitches. Not all of them are conversations that turn into a second meeting and definitely very, very few turn into an investment. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs to use their time effectively with you? How can they prepare? First of all, you don't have to have all the answers. So being really transparent, which where you're like, here's what I know really well and here's what I'm still trying to think through shows intellectual honesty. One of my board members once taught me that when people describe whatever they're talking about, the level of detail that they can go into is very indicative of their knowledge base. So if you talk about things at really high levels, you probably only know things at really high levels. If you talk about things in detailed levels at the weeds, you're showing to me you put in the work, you understand what you're working on or working with. When I talk to founders, I do like to hear that they have unique insights into the weeds so that they understand some of the nuances. And the reason I say that, Gopi, is the difference between flawless execution and okay execution is often weeds. It's the details. It's knowing how to prioritize one small feature over another or knowing which go-to-market makes sense first. Sometimes I'll talk to founders and say, what's your go-to-market strategy? And they'll say, oh, I'm going to go after small businesses. And I'll say, why? The sort of answer is, meh, like I know five people there and I can call them as opposed to well, I could start in the medium businesses, particularly in healthcare versus technology. And here's why I think that this is the right category. Here's the market data that proves that this will work. Like more thorough work on the execution side, I always like to hear. Yeah, when someone has marinated in that topic for a long time, when they receive questions, they have a very nuanced answers, which me, we may have never heard of. We can't read it in New York Times or TechCrunch to find that. 
and it's in their mind and they probably haven't had a chance to sit down and write this so when the conversation happens that's when the the details come through i really like having those conversations and learning from these entrepreneurs yeah one other thing i'll add to that is i really enjoy founders who know their work who are very self assured because they've done the work so confidence coming from having done the work i'm always very excited to hear yes on the flip side there's also an overconfidence that is it's a caution moment, right? Keep in mind, I was a young punk kid who in so many ways got lucky and thank goodness was decently smart enough to keep getting better. And I had coaches my whole life at things that I did. So I said to myself, oh, I, I should get a coach and I should get better. And I shouldn't assume that I'm a good CEO just because I've clearly never done this before. There's also a, a I call it ABL and always be learning mindset where you're really comfortable saying, I don't have all the answers and that's okay. So you're smart enough. You've got the raw mental horsepower to do great work, do great strategy, but also smart enough to know that you don't need to have all the answers because that's where you hire a management team. That's where you defer to people more intelligent on a category than you and or more informed on a category than you. Sometimes there's an overconfidence that I've seen that doesn't serve a founder either, if that makes sense. So that's the other thing is I, I like to see confidence, rigor, but also a low ego where you know that you can lean on other people for great insights. All the answers for a founder don't have to come from the founder. I see that you like transformative, bold ideas from brilliant teams, but at the same time, there's humility in the work that they do. Very beautifully articulated. I want to switch to the next part of our conversation and ask you about your community involvement. Is there a nonprofit organization you are passionate about? Which one? Yeah, I'm a mother of three children, and I've been really lucky to get to know Christy Turlington and her nonprofit, Every Mother Counts, is a wonderful one. And right now, I'm at a stage in life where I'm really fortunate to have three little kids, three healthy kids, and I thank God literally every day for that. Being a mom is really hard. Having healthy children is something that in so many ways, the healthcare infrastructure we take for granted. And in my own life, I spent some time in Kenya and firsthand saw what other people's healthcare looks like when you weren't lucky enough to be born in the United States. And so one, I'm very patriotic to this country. And two, having seen enough of the world to know how fortunate we are. I, I loved her cause. I loved why she backed it. And it's one that the Inspire team, we are looking to get more involved in. Alexa, thank you so much for sharing your nuggets of wisdom with me. You shared a lot of stories all the way from that punk kid childhood days to how you develop this uh, characteristic of always be learning. I wish you the best. And I'm Super excited to have this opportunity to collaborate with you and look forward to investing with you as well. Thank you so much, Gopi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so grateful and, and truly honored and it's been so fun to get to meet you. And thank you everybody for listening. It means a lot. Thank you for listening to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed listening to real life stories about early believers supporting ambitious entrepreneurs. Please subscribe to the podcast and post a review. Your comments will help other entrepreneurs find this podcast. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.